Good job, Wesley. If there's ever a reason to tell your young people about the Bible, all the topics they're talking about at school, Wesley just read about them, so don't hold back, okay? Um, can, I, um, can I just say, um, thanks for the opportunity to do this, um, but tonight we're looking at a passage that is, um, it is a little bit sensitive for some of us. Um, there's some topics in it that are rather uh, sensitive for some people, um, and they're also really tough for preachers to deal with in a nice small window. And so tonight, um, we, I won't answer every question. And there'll be a large chunk of the text that you may feel is just not addressed at all. Um, but I just want to encourage you that the goal of tonight is actually just to look at God's word and see what it says for us. So let's pray as we get into this. Our Heavenly Father, you're a good, good God, and we need your good, good wisdom. Help us to understand your order and your structure for our lives so that we may best serve you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, this evening, I kind of want to tackle this passage by looking at these four lies, uh, these four fake truths, these four lies that we either hear um, out, uh, sold to us or um, they may be even lies that you and I have told ourselves. Um, and I want to do this because this passage is actually a rather brief passage. It talks about quite a fair bit, and we can get bogged down in semantics, but it's actually really important that we get something out of this. And so as we look at these four lies, we'll get an opportunity to see how this applies to us. And so the first lie that I want us to look at is the, the lie that we're told that life is a bit random that things happen sporadically, chaos is a little bit much of our, a part of our lives. The lie that there is no order and life is random. Whether you've heard that or not, I do want to encourage us as we start to let's go to Genesis chapter 1. You may know it off by heart. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, we get the picture that life's not random at all. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth, heaven, heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness is over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, "Let there be light," and there was light. The very essence, the beginning of life itself, wasn't a random act. It was created. It was planned, and it still exists today. Even last week, as we hear back from Alice's sermon, he showed us how that we had an ordered, structured life that we are called to. We got to see how the gospel has been fulfilled through Jesus Christ and that the life we live today is to be structured around Jesus. The whole concept of Christianity is not about us. It's about God and his son, Jesus. As we start today's passage... When we get to verse 18, we read as God sets out a structured order for us. Verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and the unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousnesses suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, Divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. 
It's not chaotic. It's a God who has made order and clarity for humanity. It seems that somewhere along the lines, humanity has missed the order that God's, God's created, and yet I want to say that we still love order. Uh, if you want to know how many people attend church in Australia on Sunday, it's around 1.8 million people. If you want to know how many people attend Bunnings on a Sunday, it's 11.2 million people. And I can see why. Bunnings is an organised, structured facility. You get your sausage, you get greeted by a red shirt, and then you go down whatever aisle you get lost in. It's a structure that we love, and the idea that life is just a bit random and chaotic, chaotic is not true. You and I have to see that life is not random, and the truth of the gospel and the truth of God's word shows us that life is organised and planned by a good, good God. But the second lie that I want you to think about, which is one that's kind of been forced onto us a little bit, and no doubt in your families you would have had some kind of argument about this, but it's the idea, it's the lie that truth is relative. The idea that what's true for you may not be true for me. The idea of being woke kind of encourages this. The gender fluidity of our culture encourages this. The concept that us as Christians, we cannot grab hold of. Because as Christians, we're called to one truth, one God, God's word. Now, we're not talking about the idea that some people call a muffin a cupcake and other people call it a patty cake. That's a little bit trivial. That's not the truth that we're talking about. What we're talking about tonight is the idea that churches for centuries have had God's written word. That is what we know to be true and that is what we know to be our truth. God's word helps us understand who God is, what, it's, what his plan for us is and how we should live. I've been encouraging people to think about this for the last couple of years, but if we look at the Bible, the Bible is a story of a group of people whom we're invited to be a part of. The Bible is the truth of God's people. And the lies start when we as humans decide to take what is God's word and treat it as incorrect. When we as humans know the real truth, and start making it work for us. Romans chapter, 1, verses 20, Romans chapter 1 verses 21 says this, For although they knew God, they did not honour him as God. They did not give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men birds, animals, and creeping things. Paul really wants to engage our hearts and our minds and our whole soul as he points out that there are people who know God, who have heard the truth, but they have twisted it out of control. I've got a few people that work for us now, and this, this story is related to somebody who doesn't work to us, work for us anymore, but one morning I got a phone call and saying, I'm going to be late for work, my car's run out of fuel. I'm like, oh yeah, that's no worries, um, I'll see you when you get here. And he comes to work and 
I asked him, how, how, did you, how did you know your car ran out of fuel? Like, where did it run out? Did you have to pull off the road? And his reply was, oh, no, the fuel light came on, so I just pulled over. Now, I could make a fool out of you, but fuel lights are just an indication that you're running low on fuel. But the point of the story is that f- the foolishness of people comes from their truth. What we know to be right and correct is our truth, but it's all, not always the truth. You see, without God's word being the centre of where we understand what's good and correct, chaos begins. Which brings us to the third lie. And this is the hardest one i found for me to kind of grasp hold of and a lot of my family members who aren't Christians to grasp hold of. And it's the lie that we are told that people are generally good. That people are born good. You and I, I'm going to go out on a limb and say you and I and every human that I've ever met and every human that's ever been born are completely and utterly stuffed without God. We make poor decisions. We make selfish decisions. We make decisions that completely destroy our relationships with each other. If we think about the book of Romans, the letter... Paul doesn't hold back. It's a pretty comprehensive letter that helps us understand that people are not good people. We are not naturally good people. Verse 29 in our reading today, they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness. They were evil, covetous, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God. Insolent, hauntly, boastful. This is my particular greed. Inventors of doing evil. Disobedient to parents. Foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Fun fact, a lot of these things were punishable by death when Paul wrote this. To disobey your parents was punishable by death. But this is a description of a people who have been allowed to make their own truths their own decisions. It's a brief summary of humanity without God. And I know we want to think that we are good people. And honestly, I do have to say that because of God's grace and Jesus' death, you may be a good person. I can't discredit that. But to tell the lie that people are good is to wipe away all the chaos It's to just turn a blind eye to the destruction that humanity has caused. Broken relationships, they're not from God. War and death and famine and depression and hatred and the lack of trust is not from God. It's complete chaos when humans choose to become their own gods. We don't have to look far in our own world to see it. Because even the last lie, number four, the lie that we are told that our life goal is to live for ourselves is just setting us up for disaster. The lie that we get told is that you can do whatever you want, whenever you want, with whoever you want. There's actually no consequences 
We are taught that we get to go to work so we get to have a big house. We get to go to work so we drive a nice car and go on a really luxurious holiday. We get to live for ourselves because we're worth it. My vendetta, which I really hate, is the saying, treat yourself. It's a lie that takes away us from God. And the Bible teaches us very clearly that the result of living for oneself is death. There's a repercussion for living for oneself. It's death without hope. More to the point, the Romans, well, they were allowed to live without God. If we choose to be our own gods, what we read here is that we bring on God's wrath of abandonment. God gives us over to sin. Verse 24, therefore God gave them up. Verse 26, for this reason God gave them up. Verse 28, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up. There's a special word for repeated things in Scripture, but all you need to know is that if we choose to live our own lives, God will give us up. I'm not saying he's leaving us. I'm not saying that he's never going to be around. What I'm saying is God will hand us over to the sin that we so desire. If you don't believe me, go to the valley on a Thursday, Friday, or Saturday night. It's not a threat, it's a promise. I've seen so many young people, and you may have too, people who know who God is. They walk away and they wonder why they don't feel loved anymore. The truth is God's plan is far better than ours. For some reason, we still seem to think that we can do a better job. But God, in his wrath, will allow us, will allow our punishment for sinning be to live in a world of sin. Now, I just want to stop here. It's very easy for us to look around and condemn the world and go, you, the government, have made rubbish decisions in the past 24 months. You, our local council, you, our kids, you, our parents, you, our leaders of churches, you've made bad decisions and because of them, now we live in a world of sin. It's very easy to condemn everyone else. Part of Christianity is to judge the world and see that it's not good. But we who are sitting here tonight are the ones who get caught up in the lies. You see, when bad things happen in our life, we write it off for a, a random event or something that, you know, that, that just happened. Instead of thinking, actually, maybe I may have done something wrong and I need to turn to God here. You see, we, we get a lot of young and new people coming to church and when we see a, a new single mum without a husband, I know I am guilty and I am assuming that some of you are too, to judge her instead of loving them. What I'm saying is we are no better than the Romans that we read here. When a young kid, or when we've got lots of kids that run around in church here, screaming and become a little bit annoying, and instead of encouraging the parents and just letting kids be kids, we become our own truth enforcers. 
We treat others differently because they drink or they swear or they smoke. We treat people differently because of their vaccination status now. We are not naturally good people. And so we have to ask the question, what hope is there? What hope do the Romans have? What hope do you and I have if we are not good people believing our own truths? Well, I want to say in this passage, we got stitched up because there's not much good news. In fact, I would say there is very little. Except for there's one key participant in this passage, and that is God. And God has been in this position over and over and over again. Adam and Eve stuffed up, God was there. Noah and the flood, the book of Judges. In fact, the whole Bible is about a group of people, God's chosen people, stuffing it up. God is there when people like us who know God are still treating God like a fool. We worship man-made items. And God has allowed people to run their own race. And he's been allowing people to run their own race for as long as time itself. And yet, God has always been at the door waiting for his people. Because of the grace of God, he has never stopped crying out for us. The third Psalms reading tonight, which is kind of nice. Psalms chapter 81 says this, But my people did not listen to my voice. Israel would not submit to me. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsels. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. I would soon subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes. Those who hate Yahweh would cringe towards him and their fate would last forever. But he, God, would feed you with the finest of wheat and with honey from the rock, I would satisfy you. We have a God that's crying out for us. We have a God that's crying out that his people would just listen to him. And yet over and over again, our desire is to be selfish, to run our own lives and the hardest thing is, the world is supporting it. Bunnings is supporting it. It's not a dig at Bunnings, but have a look how many people are sitting there on a Sunday. God's punishment for us is to allow us to do it over and over again too. God says, I gave them over to their own desires. I let them do as they decided and chaos followed. Romans should scare the living daylights out of us. Probably more violent words I could use to tell you how scared we should be of Romans. But there is a massive warning for us that if we do as the Roman Empire did, have a look at where they are now. God will abandon us if we turn our back on God. God. And God, well, he doesn't need us. There's some severe consequences for not following God and that is exactly what our world has done. Our world suppresses the truth, it lives for itself, and it is run by people who are not naturally good. We live in a world where God has handed our community over to themselves. And if we have a look around, chaos is set in. So what do we do about this? How do we go home feeling warm and fuzzy? 
We don't. We don't dwell in sin and depravity, but I've got a couple of little applications for us. If you've been playing the good person game, somebody who likes being in the God's community, somebody who likes coming to church, and yet they still, you still want to run your own life, there's a little warning here at the end that's specific for you. Verse 32 is for you. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they, you, not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. If you think that you're a Christian, but you don't know Jesus, if you're not a Christian, you need to discover Jesus quick smart. You need to read Genesis and see the order that God's created. You need to learn about the people in the Bible. And you need to see how God has delivered them. Seek Jesus as your saviour. But if you're a Christian here today, which is probably most of us, as Alastair pointed out and encouraged us last week, we need to look at the gospel that Paul sets out. We need to look at the gospel that is in the Bible and compare it to our lives. Are we living for Christ or are we living for ourselves? Are we living a life that is honouring to nothing or are we honouring God? Lastly, together. Let's be a church that keeps God's teachings. Let's be a witness to our community by holding fast to the truth of God's word. The Bible is the absolute truth. Of that I am convinced. And we should not waver from it in any way. Let us love each other as God loves us. And let us never forget that we are sinners. And it's only because the blood of Jesus that we are set free. Following Jesus is pretty serious business. The world has some serious issues with it. But there is some very real consequences for turning our back on God. That's why we're here. That's why we continue to meet together, to read God's word, so that we'll be a part of a God's family who selfishly submits to God. Let me pray. God, our Heavenly Father, we've stuffed up. We've become our own gods and we're on the edge of you sitting there telling us that you're no longer supporting us. We are selfishly living our lives day in and day out and so we ask that you will change us, that you correct our paths so that we may selfishly submit, selflessly submit to Jesus for the rest of our days. Amen.